Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. We experienced some technical difficulties during the recording of this episode, so please excuse some of the audio quality, uneven volume, or background noise that you may hear during this episode. Thank you. And welcome back. This is Moms Going Boldly, and today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. And this one was directed by Jonathan Frakes. So what did you think of this episode, Vicki? I liked this episode. I did too. I was a little annoyed with Burnham. (laughs) I'm not going to say specifically with Burnham. I do get annoyed with her down the line. But I think they tried so hard to shove it down our throats that she was a different person Mm. and she didn't have the same priorities. And even the way she cringed when the crewmate called her commander, you know. It's pretty overt. Yeah. We had to listen to, this is sarcasm, I'm using the sarcasm font, my favorite part of every Star Trek Discovery episode, the 10-minute Michael Burnham personal log. (laughs) So So that's the perfect place to start because that's how this episode began. It was the very long personal blog entry, which I thought was actually kind of a good way for the story to be presented to the to the audience of catching us all up. Yes, but I think she made it perfectly clear during that that her priorities have changed. We didn't need all the other shoving it down our throats with Tilly and Giorgio And even Book saying, do you think you owe these people something? Which leads me to believe they've already had conversations about this. Yes. Yep. No, I can see exactly what you're talking about. Um, And and I felt like they they kept shoving it down our throats because they needed to have the individual vignette with each one of her sort of closest comrades in the ship. She had to do it with Tilly. She had to do it with Georgiou. She had to do it with Saru. And it felt like repetition. Yes. And I think you're you're absolutely right in that perhaps because she did this personal log, or was, it wasn't actually a personal log because it was a log intended to be transmitted to Discovery once Discovery was found. So Saru should have already known. He would have received this log. That's right. I totally forgot about that. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, but it was, I thought, a really great way of orienting the audience to where things are now in the story. You know, she was alone for a year. She spent her year working as a courier with Book. She describes the burn to the Discovery crew. She discusses, you know, the lack of dilithium. She talks about how she wasn't able to contact her mother on Terralysium, which is where she thought she was. So it was a really great sort of, instead of doing a last time on Star Trek Discovery, had her log instead to kind of get us to the present. True. So I, I kind of like that. So the first thing we see then after we get this, you know, let's get us to where we are right now moment with the log entry, then we see her beam aboard the ship and there's a hugging scene. And I got to tell you, I think a year ago I might have 
found the hugging scene to be too much because we got to see her hug every single person. <laughs> exactly. And I specifically remember watching this because this was on in October. Uh-huh. And I specifically remember watching this when it first aired. And I remember getting very uncomfortable seeing people hugging and shaking hands because we'd been locked in for so long. Yes, so we should probably go ahead and and name the elephant in the room right now. Yes. Assuming that the internet is eternal and that this podcast will stay out into the world forever, we wouldn't necessarily have to identify where we are. But let's say 500 years from now, some archaeologist digs up this recording and is trying to figure out what it's about. We are in, in 2021, the second year of the SARS COVID-19 pandemic, and it has been stressful. Yes. <laughs> and we have spent a lot of time in lockdown. We've spent a lot of time being very careful. We've had both uh, Vicky and I have had family who have been injured in some way by this pandemic. Um, we've also lost people to the pandemic. It has not been an easy time. So yes, absolutely. A year ago in October, watching people touch yep. after spending six months in lockdown and keeping six feet apart from people and wearing masks all the time and trying to take care of yourself and keep yourself as safe as possible from this pandemic disease was, yes, very stressful. Yes. You know, we're washing down groceries and carrying hand sanitizer around and, you know, surface cleaning and, you know, changing your clothes when you've been out. We just didn't know. Yeah. And people are hugging and. Absolutely. But what I'm going to say is this time I actually really loved it because I miss hugging. (laughs) Yes. Well, we're not out of it, but we no. are out we're of trying. the. Yeah, we're out of the phase where we were when this first aired. But still, I'm not hugging anybody. People still are not hugging. Yeah. For the future archaeologists, we are now dealing with what's called the Delta variant yes. of this virus, which has mutated several times, and the Delta variant is apparently very contagious. Right. Uh, I think I mentioned to you earlier my um, spouse lost one of his childhood friends this week to yes. the Delta variant. Yes. And very sad. And that this thing just sucks. But again, like I said, I, I found that scene to be very hopeful to me. And I found it very moving and wonderful. I, I was surprised at how moved I was by it. <laughs> and I guess because in a way I could relate to Burnham having to wait so long to hug the people she cared about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, when you anyway. put it that way. Yeah, definitely. So we move on to Burnham kind of sort of awkwardly stepping back into her role as the commander of uh, the USS Discovery. And she's discussing with the bridge crew about the burn, which led to, I had a lot of favorite lines in this episode. So this was the setup for one of my favorite lines where um, Stamets is saying he doesn't understand how something could have affected all the lithium across space at the same time, to which Giorgio says, says the man who jumps the starship to yes. the mushroom space. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's so great. Giorgio's so great for the comic relief. And there were several times that she was really comic relief. Now, that being said, she's actually abusive and nasty. So we have to keep that framework in place. I mean, she is not a nice person right. a lot of the time. But she does provide that sort of comic reframe for us when things get a little bit too taking themselves too seriously. And I do appreciate that. She also just says she discovered a transmission from a Starfleet admiral named Senna Tall, 
who invites Starfleet personnel to come to Earth. So that is the setup for the main plot of this episode. They're all going to go to return to Earth and try to find this Admiral Senatal. Um, and then you have several scenes where, you know, you get to see what you and I were talking about earlier, the individual interactions of Burnham with her particular close friends on the ship and the reiteration over and over again of her changed character. Yes. Which also led to another one of my favorite phrases, which is cake is eternal. <laughs> yes. That was a good one. It came during a conversation between Tilly and Burnham where Tilly's hoping to find on Earth hummingbird cake. Do you know what hummingbird cake is? No idea. I don't either. And so I actually did not look that up. So let's go ahead and do that right now. What is hummingbird cake? cake is an earth dessert consisting of banana pineapple spice cake with cream cheese frosting it originated in jamaica no never heard of that sounds incredibly sweet yeah so now we know tilly has a major sweet tooth (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) we also get an opportunity to see the uh, character development more character development between burnham and book which i really liked because they bring book with them he's got the, the ship that can mask the dilithium so they move all the dilithium they have onto his ship and then move his ship into their shuttle bay so that it's concealed from potential raiders because they're like the only ship in the universe with a whole lot of dilithium now right and this gives us an opportunity to see this ongoing character development between Burnham and book and as you start to see the chemistry and i thought it worked it doesn't seem forced or pushed anything it seemed like it was a very comfortable and believable chemistry what did you think yes absolutely this is going to be a relationship we want to support they have all these experiences she says she worked with him sometimes but it really sounds like they were together for that full year yeah work together a lot yeah Yeah. so they uh, arrive at earth and discover it is fortified big time there's all kinds of defense satellites and force fields and force shields and they are welcomed very inhospitably by the united earth defense force who when she opens their communication her name is captain ndoye she says oh a view screen how quaint yeah (laughs) <laughs> Which is such a weird thing to say. I mean, I would think that if view screens are really out of vogue, then why was she not immediately curious as to what this was about? I mean, that ship was so different than anything they currently had. Her lack of curiosity felt really weird. That's exactly what I thought. And it just seems like, as we learn, she doesn't care who's out there as long as they just go away. Yeah. Anyway, so this actually causes a great deal of stress to the Discovery crew because this is not the welcome they expected from this mostly human crew returning to their home, home. planet. Yeah. And so that, you know, would cause a great deal of stress and then they had to be inspected. So all of these inspectors arrived on the ship with their personal transport beams and they just appeared, which was rude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, you don't just, you know, show up in someone's bedroom when you're going into their house. But it was part of that whole, we're going to defend ourselves and we don't care if we're rude thing that was being displayed by this United Earth Defense Force. So they get inspected 
And this captain and Joy tells them that they are constantly menaced by a raider named Wen. And so her concern is, is that somehow Discovery is in league with Wen. Yes. And so that's one of the reasons that they're being treated so hostily. And Saru does, I think, a terrific job of staying calm, staying reasonable, and staying Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked how he threaded his way through the diplomacy of dealing with her. I, I really appreciated that. And so then Wen does show up and Burnham and Book, without discussing with Saru first, because they have become accustomed to doing their own thing, go out to make a deal with Wen and then secretly they have a different plan and they capture him. Right. They bring him back to the ship to talk yes. to Captain Ndoye. Meanwhile, while they're out trying to capture Wen, Captain Ndoye is trying to leave the ship with her team because she feels like they've been betrayed and they can't. And the reason is, is because one of the inspection team has secretly set up a block to their transporters. And this is where we meet Adira, who we later learn is a human who has been joined with a Trill symbiont who is this Admira Senatal that the Discovery had come to Earth looking for. There's some really great interaction with her and Stamets. I love that because he immediately trusted her. Yeah, which was actually, I kind of wondered why. But then, you know, I think it's because he knew he had leverage because she had sabotaged the personal yes. transporters. And both of him and Tilly were impressed about her age. And she just looked at things and knew exactly what they were. Yeah, he was an apparent teenager. Yes. Who really understood working of their 900-year-old ship. Yeah. Without having to have a lot of things explained to them. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, I thought she was a trill, although I didn't see any spots, but I don't think I caught that she was a human until later on. So I'm thinking she knows about the ship because she's going back to one of her trill hosts. Yeah, absolutely. But she doesn't know it because one of the things they say at the end is that she has difficulty accessing those memories. Right. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So meanwhile, we've got Burnham and Book out in space, and we've got these, uh, the Earth Defense Force is going to fire on Burnham and Book. So Saru is saying you can't do that, and so he orders Detmar to maneuver the ship in front of the weapons so that Burnham and Book's little ship won't get hit by the United Earth Defense Force weapons. And we get to see more of Lieutenant Detmar's PTSD here. Yes. She's like, I'm not sure we can handle being hit. She's really freaked out. Rather than following Saru's orders, she's fighting back because she's scared. Right. And the girl next to her, and I can never remember her name. Oh, well. Yes. She had to reiterate the order. Yeah. In order for her to take any action at all. Yeah, which is weird. And and I don't remember if in the next episode, you know, Saru has a conversation with Detmer or whether we're to assume that a conversation with Detmer took place off screen. But a conversation with Detmer is like totally needed here. Absolutely. Because as, you know, as captain, I think he would be making a note of that and then saying report to my ready room and going, you know, WTF. Yeah. I'm giving you a order. You're not supposed to fight back. What's going on? Right, right. Like I said, I don't remember if that 
happened in the next episode that I just can't remember. Like I said last week, I don't remember any of her storyline, if she does have a storyline. There's a little bit more, and there's a really good scene that comes up in the, one of the next episodes that I really appreciated and really enjoyed when I first watched it. I was very grateful that the writers included the scene, and so when we get to that down the road, we can talk about that. So now they moved to Discovery between the firing of the other ships and protected Book and Burnham, and then Book and Burnham brought this bad guy when on to discovery and he looks like he's a bug yeah <laughs> he's got this big bug head he's bipedal with a big bug head talking through a translator or some kind of you know device and they're trying to get him to have a conversation with captain Endoye, and they're essentially trying to promote um negotiation which is what the federation used to do and it's a little heavy-handed i felt well, you just need to talk. Yeah. They said at least two or three times. And they finally said, you know, you have to take off your helmet. And I wondered how they knew that, you know, that wasn't his head. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, Giorgio kicks the guy and takes the helmet off saying diplomacy is so slow, which was funny, but also abusive. And she gets away with a lot of things that, you know, normal people wouldn't be able to get away with. But anyway, so, and they discover he's a human being. And uh, he's played by an actor named Christopher Heyerdahl. Are you familiar with him? I am familiar with him from Sanctuary. Okay. He was also in Stargate Atlantis, which, you know, I like the Stargate yeah. series. And so there was a, a spinoff called Stargate Atlantis. And he played actually a couple of characters on that. Really good characters. He was, he's a really good actor. I enjoy watching him. So it was a pleasure seeing him. He played two different characters on Sanctuary as well. Oh, he was also in a, star, a regular Stargate episode, too, now that I'm thinking about it. So he's obviously a Canadian actor. Yep, yep, a very yep. prolific Canadian actor. So once we see that he's human, we get an opportunity to hear his story. He's from a colony on Titan, and they were self-sufficient, but then something happened, and they lost their self-sufficiency, and they tried to get help from Earth, but they were fired on, and so they started just attacking. Which seemed weird. You know, wouldn't they, you know, maybe try to communicate from farther away and not wear the bug helmet? To well, show that they were actually human. Right, and I'm wondering if the bug helmet came later because, you know, they're stranded out there with no dilithium. If they can't get what they need from Earth, why not put the helmet on and pretend to be hostile aliens and maybe instill fear into Earth to give them what they need? Earth's doing this to themselves. Yeah. They could have figured out who these people were before firing on them. They right. didn't. So now they have to attack them. Right. Because they've been stranded. They've been left to die. And Earth doesn't care who's out there. That it's makes sense. Because that does mesh up with Captain Andoye's sort of hard-nosed line on, if you're here, go away. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so then all of a sudden, we have the beginnings of diplomacy. And they said, you know, she says, well, we can help you. And he said, well, yeah, maybe we can give you some of our data from our research on Titan, etc. And all of a sudden, all is well. Because... Starfleet is back. Yeah. Which, which was slightly a little too much and yet kind of cool too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then our last scene is they allowed the crew to beam down to Earth and we see the bridge crew, most of the bridge crew, but not Burnham, on the um, grounds of Starfleet Academy and recognizing this beautiful old tree that they had studied under when they were at the Academy still there 900 years later and i called that the memory tree yeah and it was somehow rejuvenating for them to have this icon of their past still be there right because even earlier tilly said i just need to see one thing that's familiar i think the full impact of what happened with them finally is hitting her that everybody she knows is gone yep and she got it yeah 
And so that was the end of the episode. What did you think? You, you liked it. I did like it. It was not one of my favorites, but I did like it. Like you said, you know, the whole thing between Wen and Nadoya. Yeah. That just was resolved much too quickly. Yes, and yes. It did feel contrived. Yes. You know, I guess maybe they had to do that because we needed to have Starfleet back at some point. Right. But it felt too easy. Which is, I think, you know, we've kind of talked about this a little bit before, the pros and cons of the ship in the bottle episode versus the story arcs, right? And this was a ship in the bottle episode. They started and it began. I mean, there's a broader story arc of trying to figure out the burn and trying to find Starfleet, etc. But this particular episode was very much a, you know, here's the, here's right. the beginning of the adventure and here's the end of the adventure. Right. And the drawback of that, as, as we see with this episode, is that sometimes it can go too fast and feel a little bit too neat and tidy. Yes. Yes, but I did enjoy the relationship between Stamets and Adira. Yes. I did enjoy how Giorgio hits the nail right on the head with how Burnham's feeling. You've been out there for a year with nobody to answer to, and she thinks it agreed with her. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, until he also said she, she seemed lighter. Planting the seeds of, is she going to leave? Right. Yeah. And then when Book says, well, do you feel like you owe these people something? Uh, yeah, she does. Sorry, she does. They came for her, not for anything else. Right. And here's the other thing that was really interesting is that Giorgio also kind of pegged the transition. You know, you're talking about how she's been doing her own thing and not having to answer to anyone. I forget who she was talking to about Michael. Book, Maybe I think. Maybe it was when, was it Book? Saying... Was- I don't know where she is. Usually she would be out there somewhere being earnest and doing the right thing. But this new one, I don't know. Yeah, that was book. She was trying to get information out of book. But being earnest and doing the right thing, that was her assessment of the this universe Michael of 930 years ago. Yes. Who is no longer that Michael that she recognizes. But she's still not the Michael of the mirror universe who was, you know, ruthless. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes. You know, you mentioned when you texted me earlier, the I, I, Captain. <laughs> yes. Now, I tried to look it up because, you know, she says only one eye because we're not pirates. Right. And I remember in Lower Decks on TNG, Riker reprimanding the Lower Deck Riker for yeah. saying I, I, only one eye. So right. is that a thing? I guess. So now it's canon because we've got it in two places. And this it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, so he would have remembered that. And amazingly, I remember the episode Lower Decks because I love that episode. Because it's a great episode. I don't remember the names of any episode, but that one I do love. And I remember the Lower Deck Riker, who I can't remember his name, saying I, I more than once and Riker reprimanding him. I'm kind of thinking that Janeway did it too. And I'm not sure if it was to Paris I remember her, you know, telling them how to address her. Okay. You know, she liked to be called Captain, not Sir, and, you know, Ma'am in a crunch, I think. Yeah. And then Harry saying, yes, ma'am, and she says, not crunch time yet, Anson, or something like that. I don't remember the I thing, but I could just not be remembering. It, I could be thinking of another whole totally different show. <laughs> For some reason, I thought it was Janeway to Paris. Yeah. Early episodes when Paris was, you know... A jerk. Yeah. Well, and he may have done it just to push buttons. Too, exactly. He was a jerk. Exactly. But I do remember it so. coming up more than once. But I definitely remember Riker reprimanding the lower decks of Riker. Yeah. I thought that's why they brought it up in this episode. Perhaps continuity. We love it. <laughs> Okay, so anything else we want to talk about this episode, People of Earth? I did like, you know, Giorgio is Giorgio. 
obviously. You know, she was the one who was so concerned about finding Michael. And when Michael does beam aboard the ship, she can't bring herself to right. go with the group and give the hugs because that's just not her. But she made sure she saw that she was there. Yes. Which is the best she... Made eye contact, reassured herself. Which is the best she can do. Yep. But, yeah, I liked the episode. Like I said, not 100%, but I liked it. Yeah, and it did what it needed to do well. Yes. Cool. All right, well, then we invite our listeners to join us for the next Moms Going Boldly podcast when we'll talk about Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. Thanks very much. See you then. Bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.